0: welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. So today we're talking to Diane Bondy. I'm going to let Jeremy introduce her properly as always, but thank you so much, Diane, for being here, and we really hope you enjoy
1: this episode.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Diane, for being with us today. We appreciate taking the time to record this episode with us.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm I'm
2: honored to be here. We never met physically, (laughs) in person. Uh, It's COVID, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) A few weeks ago, uh, you were a guest on the yoga teacher training uh, Rosie and I are uh, taking right now with Adrian and Denise. And you talked to us for about two hours about your involvement into yoga, into the social activism movement that you created. Um, And yeah, just after the talk, I was like, I've got so many questions (laughs) for her. (laughs) (laughs) yeah I would love to recall (laughs) and um, so yeah like I'm gonna let like you to tell us exactly how you got where you are now but just like to have a quick summary so if people don't know you they have a better idea Uh, you started the yoga for all yoga for everyone movement Uh, as you say still right now yoga is for mainly white skinny mostly female people Uh, this is what you see on instagram this is what you see on google when you type yoga yoga teacher and and everything like that Um, and uh, yeah you're trying to change that basically you're trying to bring awareness that yoga can be for everyone uh, not just for healthy skinny wealthy also (laughs) people um, so you have two books, Yoga for Everyone and Yoga Where You Are. You have a podcast. <laughs> uh, you are really present on social media. You post a lot <laughs> on Instagram. Do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you do, how like you do it, but you post a like lot. <laughs> yeah. You teach yoga online through your own platform and also on other apps like Insight Timer and other apps. Uh, you do, you a, do a, lot. a lot. Yeah, you do a yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs> the days are busy, I guess. <laughs> I need to make it.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I, I've been part of the yoga scene for quite some time and an early adopter of the philosophy of yoga for everyone, yoga for all. I started an, uh, a teacher training called Yoga for All uh, almost six years ago to help train teachers to be more equitable in teaching yoga to all kinds of different bodies. I started practicing yoga um, when I was three. Can you believe it? Uh, my mother had a book called Stay Young with Yoga that she recently... Thank <laughs> you that she really recently gifted to me. So she purchased this book in the early 60s. This book was published in 1956. She was cleaning out her condo and she's like, I have this book. Do you want it? And I'm like, yes, I do. Because this is a very, this is where I started my yoga practice with this book with my mother when I was three. So that was 1973 for those of you who want to do the math. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I've am i been at this for a really long time. I've been in and out of a physical yoga asana practice. and then And very deeply invested in the eight limbs of yoga as it pertains to creating equitable practices for all of us to enjoy. So when I I, I first started yoga, there were no like fancy yoga studios or, you know, expensive yoga leggings or expensive yoga mats or any of that kind of commodified, commercialized stuff around yoga. Um, My mom and I used to buy runners that you would put up the center of stairs that had carpet on one side and rubber backing on the other side. We go to the hardware store, get like a six foot length of that cut, and we would just practice, you know, in my in my basement at home. And we would just use this book, right? Stay young with yoga, be young with yoga, and we just flip through the book, and it had like these really interesting pictures, and we would just try the poses, right? We would just try them, and then we, the more we tried the poses, the better my mother would feel. My mom was a brand new immigrant to Canada, where I live and uh, she didn't have access uh, to a car or to be able to go out. And she had three kids under the age of four, so she needed to find something that she could do when my dad went to work that could manage her stress level. And I think this was the easiest way that she could get some movement and still be at home with the kids kind of thing. So we were all introduced to yoga pretty early, but I was kind of the only one that it really spoke to for whatever reasons. And so I've been doing it on and off for most of my life. And initially it started off as just a physical practice and mommy and me time with my mom. Um, And then it grew into something that just helped me manage the world. And I just stayed at home, did my own practice for a long time. And the very first time I stepped out, into a yoga studio space. um, The reaction to me was quite shocking when I came up to the front desk to sign in for a class. The person who was uh, leading the class was signing everybody in and she looked at me over and pretty much said to me, you know this is gonna be hard, right? making this judgment on my body. I had, at this point, been about six weeks postpartum. And so I was already um, emotions running high, already a lot of hormones in my body, already feeling really unsure of myself at this point. But then to have this reaction when you go into a yoga space of having people move their mats, when you roll out their mats, people stop talking when you enter a room, people pushing in front of you in the yoga studio space. And then, you know, six weeks postpartum, I think I wasn't quite ready to be doing the level of act- activity That this class was doing. I think it was a short-form Ashtanga class at lunch, which I'm not an Ashtanga practitioner, so I wasn't familiar with the sequence. And um, I was disrupting the flow and the energy of the class by not being able to keep up. And so the instructor was pretty put out by me and let me know in not so many words. And so when I, yeah, when I left the studio space, I decided. Had that been my first experience of yoga, I probably would have never gone back. But since I had this huge, you know, I knew it wasn't this. So I went home and said to my husband, I'm opening a yoga studio. And he's like, wait, what? Like, where did this, you you leave the house for the first time in six weeks. To go take a yoga class so you can calm down as a new parent. You come back and you tell me you're going to open a yoga studio. I'm like, yeah, that's what's going to happen. So I started with uh, renting a, a local space, just like um, a community space. I rented a church hall and just started inviting my friends to come to yoga with no real training. So to preference. And, the-
2: and before that, did you have any interest in having a yoga career? Or no, you at Not were- at all. Not okay. at all.
1: Not at all, not at all. Uh, When I was done having, you know, I was on maternity leave and I was just like, yeah, no. I, you know, I just wanted people to practice with. So I just rented a church hall and I, uh, you know, invited my friends. Prior to this, I had worked as an instructor, like a fitness instructor at a gym. Uh, I started teaching fitness instruction like in 1990. And so I had, um, you know, training as a fitness instructor, as a group fitness instructor, I was certified and all that stuff. So I just got out all my yoga books and started looking at sequences. I grabbed a video by Ali McGraw and Eric Schiffman, like the most famous popular yoga video ever ever purchased and i watched the flow and i watched the language and i pretty much imitated that class like i added a few extra poses in it and i just memorized this class and i started teaching it to my friends who loved it so i taught so i taught yoga for about a year with like no training and then after a year i'm like hmm i probably should get some training so i ran off and took my 200 hour teacher training at that point but i figure i had been practicing all of my life i already had my certifications as a fitness instructor so i figured i had the basic anatomy knowledge but i wanted to learn more than what i knew and it was that moment when i was in that yoga class and i was the only black person in that yoga class I was the only person in a larger body or a fat body or a plus size body or an abundant body, however you wanna call it, however you identify, in that class and I was made to feel like this was not for me. And I knew in my heart of hearts that there were other people out there that looked like me and who felt marginalized by this practice, who felt like this wasn't for them. And I couldn't sit with that. I couldn't sit with the idea that this practice that's about unity and community and connection and breath and all these things, that so many people were being excluded, that the gatekeepers of this practice were primarily white, able-bodied, genetically privileged right so they're able to do these poses without a whole lot of effort so i i was noticing the people who were coming to yoga were like dancers and skaters and gymnasts so they were able to do this really acrobatic vision of what asana was and i knew for a fact after practicing with my mother all this time that that's not what it was about and i was kind of put out and hurt by it so i wrote an article or a blog post For Elephant Journal that had a clickbait title of "Yoga isn't just for skinny white girls," and so I posted that on Elephant Journal like ten years ago in 2011, and the whole thing blew up like it went viral in an hour, and people were writing all their shitty experiences. Sorry, I swore on your podcast. That's fine. of, (laughs) Of going into yoga studios and feeling like othered because they're not wearing the right athletic wear, they don't have the right? now. they don't fit the stereotype of what a yoga body looks like. And that article went viral and introduced me to a friend of mine, uh, Melanie Klein of the Yoga and Body Image Coalition. And she had been also been writing about this exclusivity in yoga. And so we, could be, we, could, we became fast friends and together with a group of other people created the Yoga and Body Image Coalition. And that was my accidental entry into a social justice around yoga like it was never my intention to have a yoga career it was never my intention to be an activist none of this happened but for me i can't sit by and watch injustice and not do anything about it it's part of my dna as a black woman it's part of my history as an oppressed minority not to sit back and take things that i know i could change and i figured if i felt this way there was going to be a whole group of other people who felt this way and let's pool our resources have our conversations and let's start pushing back against this constant narrative that yoga is for a specific type of people and let's let's call into question and challenge the current gatekeepers of yoga the people who are at the top of the yoga food chain if you will in the yoga culture and let's call them to the carpet let's say to them why is it when you look out into the sea of faces that you're teaching nobody is a person of color nobody has a disability nobody you know nobody is a person of size like why is it all of these classes are geared toward able-bodied cisgender right um, white women like why is this this okay and why has this been okay for so long so we were really we were really fired up as you can tell now i'm really yeah. fired up. <laughs> <laughs> i was like really fired up by that and so i was calling out advertisers i was calling out clothing brands i was like like this can't stand this is not right and how do we make it right? So that's how I got involved. Accidentally, I stepped ass backwards into it. That's what happened.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, I, I can tell from your personality and also the way you've been describing everything is that, yeah, you see a problem, you go for it. You don't yeah, close your eyes, look around, this. cross the street. Like. <laughs> There's got to be a how way to fix your... this.
1: Can't, this can't be right. Something's missing yeah. here. <laughs> how can I help change the situation? And that's kind of my personality.
2: <laughs> how was your husband uh dealing with that quote-unquote
1: well <laughs> I I, mean... yeah he wasn't happy when i came home because the idea was you know i'd be on mat leave i'd return from mat leave i'd go back to my job as an accountant yawn boring um and i was like when i was in my accounting job i loved it like i liked it it was fine but once i started coming into the fitness world i forgot how much i like an embodied practice like sitting at a desk and crunching numbers all day long is like fun for some people like I have an accountant now like I don't do any accounting now but I hired somebody and he's really excited to do those things I'm like good here (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm really excited to do these other things and I just thought my time was better spent um creating a yoga creating yoga for everyone creating yoga for for people and so when I came home and said I'm gonna open a yoga studio it was like wait what I said, yeah, so I'm just going to play with it for the next six months and see if anybody's interested in doing yoga with me. And I just went out, put my kid in a stroller. He was so little, walked around the neighborhood, putting um, uh, flyers in people's mailboxes saying, come join me at the church hall. We're going to do some yoga together. And I had like six people show up, which was really exciting to me. And very shortly, six people turned into 12 people. 12 people turned into 24 people. 24 people turned into 50 people. And before I knew it, I had like 200 students. And so I had to get a brick and mortar space because we just, I was running classes five, six days a week. And the church was like, we need our hall for stuff. (laughs) Like, you know. So I'm like, right. So um, once my husband saw that there was a potential for us to share yoga and really change the way yoga looked, he's like, okay, I'm in. And so he ended up finding our first studio space. And uh, yeah, so once he could, he, once he saw my drive and ambition around this, then he got on board. But initially, he was like, uh, what? <laughs> That was not the plan. You were supposed to go to yoga, come home and be happy. It wasn't like, come home, be angry, let's start a business, right? Like, so that's what happened.
2: So how how did you, because I mean, okay, you had the intention to start things, but it's not that easy. And because um, what, I, what I know and what I can see from Miami, my little bubble here, because it is a bubble, is uh going to yoga studio cost a fortune it does it's like at least 20 bucks a class pretty much and if you want a subscription for a month it's between one and 200 and closer from two than one um so there is also i mean there is the the physical issue that yoga is targeted for skinny, able-bodied people and everything, but it's also like the wealth issue. Cause even if you want cause if you want to bring yoga to the minority, you have to make it affordable as well. Mm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And And I so would say how, if you want to bring yoga that? to
1: the majority, you want to make it. True. Yeah. Exactly. You want to make it accessible, right? If you want everybody to do it, you have to make it affordable. That would be my argument. I just wanted to jump in there. No,
2: that's a good point. Yeah. So how, how did you tackle that?
1: So when I opened my yoga studio, we did kind of like um, a sliding scale pricing. So if anybody came in and couldn't afford it, I made whatever – Whatever they needed. I did whatever, whether they came in and, um, you know, tra- whether we traded services, whether uh, we did community classes. And then what I figured out, I was a pretty early adopter of the online platform. Because for me, I had a lot of friends who also had children who didn't have access to childcare and couldn't make it. So that, that's another factor that makes it um, inaccessible. But I I just I was a pretty early adopter of the online platform. So I've had an online yoga studio in conjunction with my brick and mortar studio since 2012. So I jumped on the online wagon because people couldn't get to the class. So what I would do was I would record Uh, on my phone, my audio, and then email out the audio to the class later. And then I had a lot of newer people who needed to see, you know, how the poses were being done. So I thought, we'll just set up a camera and record. And in that way, uh, people who belong to the studio could have access to the classes if they couldn't get to the studio. And it made it more affordable if you were already online and most people were online in 2012, as long as you had an internet connection, you had access to the classes and we were charging, I think, $10 or $7 a month for at that time, uh, for the online platform. So I, um, Every, every day after classes ended, I set up a camera, I pre-recorded, um, you know, up to five or six classes a week and just put it up there. And before I knew it, I had a hundred classes on this platform. Uh, I invited my other teachers in the studio if they wanted to put up content. And then we grew this little tiny platform that people were interested in. And at the same time, in conjunction with that, I was getting on social media and sharing what my body looked like in yoga, creating like forward-facing faces, forward facing imagery that would disrupt the narrative that a yoga body looks this way. And that's when um, the Yoga and Body Image uh, co- uh, Coalition created a campaign. This is what a yoga body looks like. And that was the hashtag we were using. And we were inviting everybody to share what they look like doing yoga. So again, we could disrupt these forward-facing images that were only show- showing a very athletic version of yoga, a very able-bodied version of yoga, a very cisgendered version of yoga, a very thin version of yoga. So we really wanted to bust it up. And so that started, that started in 2012, 2014, that we started pushing these image, images out there. And that's how it kind of grew into my activism, people started reaching out to me and asking me to come and speak on this. Tell me about your experience. Hey, will you be on my podcast? And then uh, I caught the eye of uh, Guyam at the time and they were like, we're extending our sizing in yoga clothing. We'd like you to come and be a model on one of our photo shoots. And I was like, really? Wow. And that's kind (laughs) of how this all happened. I owe pretty much my entire career to being given a free platform on uh, Facebook initially and then Instagram. And now I'm on TikTok I'm not so great with that, but I'm figuring it out, right? There's so many platforms. And I think you and I met in Clubhouse. There's another one. So um, so I started using all these free platforms that help democratize celebrity, so to speak. So I didn't have to wait for a company to think about, to, to get on board with what I was talking about. I could create my own platform and say, if you're interested in these things, come and follow me and come and join the revolution. And that's kind of how that all... Mm. unfolded
2: (laughs) it's it's interesting what you what what you said a few minutes ago Um, like the more I listen to you and the more I think about it the more I realize how ignorant I am and how also no and how also I'm unaware of things like I I, you know like I I was seeing like a, a yoga class is expensive and yeah people who can't afford it can't pay for it but you said also About yeah, when you have a child, a lot of people can't pay for, uh, well, to have someone looking after the child. And also most of the yoga studio, at least here in Miami, they're in like downtown or in the privileged area. You don't have a yoga studio... Yeah, in a outside, low income neighborhood, in, in a suburb, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you have to low... travel for like an hour if you want to go to a class, even if you could afford it, you have to travel for an hour, which is again like which means
0: you either need a car or you pay for Uber, which is expensive, or you get yeah. three buses, or it's yeah. like it's just and it's, not... and it's
2: like a three hour trip for like an hour yoga class, and that's something I, I've never thought about. So, it's, it's way more complicated <laughs> than just the income and yeah, and, yeah, are... and the price of the class.
1: There are so many barriers that keep us out. And if you are, um, when I go to Toronto, and I haven't been in a long time because we've been in quarantine, every yoga studio in a big city is often... On, is a loft space for whatever reasons, like in big cities, whenever I go to a big city to practice, it's never on the main floor. I've always got to climb three flights of stairs. And by the time I get to the third flight of stairs, I don't want to go to yoga anymore because I'm tired. But uh, <laughs> so I know I, I noticed that. And so if you're in a wheelchair or if you um, struggle with walking or if whatever it is, if you can't climb stairs, you can't go to yoga class. Like it's just the whole thing didn't make any sense to me at all. So I kept thinking about what are the barriers? There's barriers to the space. I can't get in the space. Um, for whatever reasons. Uh, There's barriers because maybe people in the space have a preconceived notion or complicit bias against certain people, whether you're part of the LGBTQIA community or you're, you're a person of color. Like there's all these things that show up in wellness spaces that keep people out. Like you go to a wellness space and have a negative experience with somebody you're not going back. So I think it's really interesting now that we're in COVID times and a lot of people have things online, there's there's a certain amount of safety to that as long as you have a a decent internet connection you can often just download stuff ahead of time if, if if that's an issue but now you can practice in the comfort of your own home without with or without a camera on you can have the interactive experience or not you can take classes on demand people have been putting up content on YouTube and on IGTV and on TikTok, there's lots of opportunities out there to find a place to practice that feels safe and welcoming, that doesn't give you the drama and the trauma of stepping into a yoga studio space that's maybe not perhaps uh, prepared for you. Plus a lot of yoga teachers, yoga teacher training is inherently flawed because we get a group of people together who already practice yoga, are pretty able-bodied and that's why they want to be teachers they're like oh i love this practice it feels so good in my body it's changed my life because of a b c whatever it is i want to share in practice so often in yoga teacher trainings everybody's able-bodied and then we're teaching to other able-bodied people who've already practiced yoga so this is the training we get and then we go out into the world and people with physical challenges roll into our classes, and we don't know how to serve them, right? We're used to teaching athletic yoga to able-bodied people, and that is inherently flawed because that's not who always shows up to your classes. And so now you don't know how to teach chair yoga or yoga to people with disabilities, and you have to kind of figure it out on your own kind of thing. Unless you come from that identity, sometimes it's hard to figure out. And so I was seeing a lot of that in yoga classes where I'd show up and somebody would be struggling and the teacher would be ignoring them as they're struggling, and I'd be like, I don't think this is what we're supposed to be doing. So how do we change that? So there's a whole host of issues with the uh, capitalization and the commodification of yoga that makes the space feel really uncomfortable for people. And so we need to figure out how do we change that? And there has been a big movement to change that over the past five years. I see a lot more adaptable, accessible yoga classes with you know the rise of accessible yoga and yoga for all and you know po- body positive yoga and there's all these organizations out there who are like let's figure it out and let's get more people on the mat who deserve to be on the mat
2: yeah it is It is a really hard task because yeah once you've tackled the logistic let's say even if you manage to create a space where everyone can come practice you you, you have to raise the awareness you have to educate because that's what you say like I like I, I mean I mean if we didn't know Adrian, let's be honest, I don't I didn't know before meeting Adrian any other yoga teacher teaching accessible yoga. right? every single other yoga teacher and yoga classes that I took in Miami were traditional slash classic, whatever you want to call it, like yoga classes. And and yeah, I doubt that most of them would be able to help bring value, bring options to, uh, mm. non-able class. yeah, yeah. Uh, people. So sure. th- there is a lot of work, like you said, and, and yeah, it's also, it's the cycle. Like you said, most people taking a yoga teacher training or yeah, it's, it's, it's just, you're feeding the whole system like this. So you need to disrupt it and you have, and you need to have people li- like you, like Adrian Hunter, like Jivana with accessible yoga, uh, creating different kind of trainings uh, and raising the awareness. But yeah, that, that it, it is interesting also cause I feel like the yoga class I attended in Miami. I, I I don't remember like seeing people that don't look like me. Yeah, clearly like 99% of people look like me <laughs> pretty much. Um, so it makes
1: it really comfortable for people like you to yeah, go to class because you know, yeah. You're going to walk into a class, the teacher is going to look like you, the other students in the room are going to look like you, and you're going to have this collective experience of people who look like you. Unless you're the person who doesn't fit that stereotype, then you somehow feel othered or outside of that experience. right? And how does that lend to your healing and how does that lend to you enjoying the practice? It doesn't in some cases, right?
2: Yeah, because I mean, you, you have a strong personality, you have a strong character, and I think no, but like no, no, but it's, it's super interesting because the experience you you had your first experience in a yoga studio would have traumatized and and you know like more than one person and you you have this well first you had experience in yoga which helped um, and also you have the character the personality to say like fuck that yeah <laughs> where. <laughs> I, I I want to say maybe the majority of people would have not reacted like you, you know, so I think uh, that's fair that <laughs> would have a lot of trauma. So yeah, the consequences of those actions or
1: have a ripple effect, have a yeah. ripple effect. Uh, you just have to have one bad experience in some situations and if if like you're right like I have a strong personality and a strong constitution and I think a lot of it comes from being a black woman walking around in the world most things are not designed with me in mind you know I get a lot of resistance from a lot of places because I show up in the world with this face and so this was just another one of those situations when I show up to a space and people aren't willing to accommodate for me because this is a practice apparently that that wasn't for me, and um, and then I get all in my feelings because that's who I am, and I go, I'm going to make this a practice about everyone, and so, yeah, it really feel it really depends on your constitution, but I've always had this kind of activist spirit in me. I um I attribute it to my ancestry. My people are from Barbados, and we tend to be pretty fiery, and so <laughs> I felt like my ancestors were like, hell no, this isn't <laughs> happening. We. Are, now it's on now we're in it and so and then I had a, a enormous support from my husband uh none of this would have happened if he didn't go uh, okay is, is this what we're doing and <laughs> <laughs> and taking off um every weekend for a year he took every weekend off for a year from his job so that I could take teacher training I mean, so that somebody could be home with with the with our children so that I can run off and take teacher training so I thought that was pretty huge too yeah
0: so I wanted to ask you how did it feel when you first started getting feedback from these people that didn't feel comfortable going to a normal yoga studio and they came to practice with you and then they practiced online with you how did that feel to get real people saying thank you so much for providing this
1: it was really validating. It felt like okay, i was this is what i meant to do. Like so many people responded, so many people interacted and it just it just felt really good to look out into a space and see all kinds of bodies on the mat. It it just felt so rewarding and i and i felt really, you know, just really blessed that people trusted me with their practice, were interested in what I was talking about. And it also showed me how much of a need there was for this. If all of these people were coming to me and saying, I've had this really negative experience and coming here has been a really positive experience for me. It just, it made me even want to work even harder um, to get the word out there that you too can do this. Like, yes, this is for you. And it doesn't have to look the way it does in magazines or in advertising. It can look the way it looks in your body, that there's nothing wrong with this body that you show up with, that you get to show up authentically as yourself and you don't have to make any apologies for that.
2: Yes. <laughs> nice, it's mm, the... How do I phrase that? It's much more than just the magazine and everything. Is like the, the exercise you made us do during your, 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 your talk in the training going on google we, <laughs> we went on we went on google and we typed yoga teacher on google images and we had to scroll for i don't know how long before Pages. Pages. finding someone that is not like us and even just i mean just even a man for a start we had yeah, to scroll for a, start, for a bit it was like skinny actually. white
0: girls and then it was maybe a skinny white man yeah. and then it was maybe a plus size woman and then it was m- maybe, maybe yeah. a person of color and then it was there was never a person of color who was also in a bigger body. Like I don't think we ever yeah. scrolled that far to find that image, and it was like, how is that not? I mean, it's kind of obvious like why you talk about it, but it was kind of like, how is that not represented in like
2: that was just so even on Google like, eye opening. That was like yeah. so, and I'm sure we could do the same on Instagram. If you tap hashtag yoga, yoga student, yoga teacher, whatever hashtag, it'd be the same shit. Start scrolling. <laughs> like,
1: I think it yeah. was like page eleven on Google before I saw a person of color, and I was just like, page eleven. Like really, like nobody's going to page eleven on the Google search. (laughs) Page one or two, maybe Maybe. three, (laughs) maybe. But if it if it isn't in the first ten, people aren't interested, right? In the first ten listings, and so, Mm. and it was really shocking to me how much we didn't see anybody from uh, in a South Asian perspective Mm -hmm. in it. We would see people. We would see animals doing yoga, like a dog doing yoga or a cat in a yoga pose. yoga. Or- yeah, or something before we would see a South Asian person represented mm. in yoga. Think about that for a minute. This is where yoga comes from. And those images aren't first and foremost. It's highly sexualized images of women in super tight clothing doing acrobatic things is the first thing that comes up. And if you are not that, then of course you think this isn't for you. Oh, well, that's for skinny white people. I can't be. Mm. No, I'm not doing that. And and I mean, that's, that's I think, the wellness industry in general really centers and focuses around that whole um, ideal, right, of mm. being able-bodied, being thin, being white. There's a lot of white woman wellness that happens at the expense of everyone else, right, that also gets should be able to participate in wellness and also needs to be centered in those conversations.
2: Yeah. No, yeah, clearly.
0: So... My plan after the training, so we've got one weekend left. <laughs> Terrified, we've got to do the exam this weekend. Um, but my plan is then to do videos on YouTube and kind of make it accessible for all. What can I do as a skinny, white, able-bodied, straight, cisgendered person? <laughs> oh, wow, person that, that's
1: like a huge mountain. The person that everybody
0: hates, I'm not male, so I'm <laughs> second in line. What can I do as that person to make disabled, bigger-bodied, people of color anything that's not me feel comfortable in my classes because I don't want to be that another skinny white girl doing yoga on YouTube I want to be someone who actually people whoever they are can go to my videos and do chair yoga or do
1: whatever it is what can I do to help you just answered your own question. Do chair yoga. Do something that's different than what everybody else is doing. So the biggest person with the largest platform on YouTube is Yoga with Adrian. I think yeah. her name is Adrian. Yeah. And so I go through her stuff, and it's really able-bodied white woman yoga stuff, which is fine, and there's a lot of people that follow her who like that. So how do we counter that for you? So you show yoga in a chair, you show yoga at a wall, you show yoga just sitting and being with your breath like anything that counters the over representation of everything else do what is underrepresented right and um, that's what I would say to do just show an alternative a walking meditation. Nobody does that. A strolling meditation. So if you're in a wheelchair, you can roll through meditation. Like show mm. all the other aspects of yoga instead of focusing on the highly physical, highly performative parts of yoga that everybody else is doing. Do the do the opposite.
0: I think that's something, one of the main things I've learned from this yoga teacher training is that yoga doesn't have to be who can do this crazy pose and you have to go to the full expression of whatever, like... And stop using that term. There's no such thing as the full
1: expression of the pose. There's your expression of the pose.
0: Yeah, and I, like, before doing this training, I always felt like I wasn't good enough and I couldn't do the everything that everybody else was doing. And through this training of, like, 10 weeks of, like, no, this is not what yoga is, I'm finally getting it. I'm finally being like, oh, shit, I can do yoga because it's my yoga. And something that actually... Giovanna Heyman said was um oh crap what did he say do you remember
2: yeah it's something it was something along the line oh. of uh, an adv- a, a beginner yoga student is someone who just do- asks for doesn't know for what he can do and an advanced yoga practitioner is more like someone who knows his own limit and know how far he can go something along. so it's not lines. about doing
0: like advanced poses it's about doing Awareness. child pose but For feeling good for you or doing warrior one in your way of doing it and that was like I think that phrase that he did like really blew my mind I was like holy shit I'm a fucking advanced yoga
1: person (laughs) even though I can't do all these crazy poses it's true and for me the advanced yoga part of it is sitting in self-study is figuring out how I can serve from a place of Um, Non attachment. Those are the things that I think advanced yogis do. I don't think advanced yogis stand on their hands in the middle of the room reading the Gita. I don't think that's what they're doing. You know, I think they're out in the world fighting for the farmers in India. I think they're out in the world fighting against uh, violence in women, uh, violence against women in the UK when we know that somebody had just recently. Was found dead. Like these are the people that are actually doing the practice because they're serving humanity. It's not the people who put on tight clothes and do a bunch of fancy poses and then put pictures up on Instagram. Like who gives a shit about that stuff?
2: Yes. (laughs) I've got. I'm. I'm gonna ask a quick question before the next one. But uh, is your husband black or white? He's white. Okay, interesting. No, but I think that okay, so it's even better. Why uh, did you ask that? Well, no, because <laughs> I remember like a, a few weeks ago we we talked because I to I understand I put him on Instagram.
1: You, I have a thing on Fridays where I'm like, let's ask my white hundred husband questions about racism, and he just he did really well this mm, past week. He got a lot of views. Interesting. Okay, <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Friday. No, but
2: yeah, but no, because to. As a white person, I can do my best. There's a limit on how much I can understand on what you experience, uh, and because he's been extremely supportive and everything, I was wondering if he, you know, like, if if he was black or not, how much he he was relating to what you've been experiencing on a personal level and and stuff like that. So that's why I was. I think
1: Alan had a real come to awareness moment. Um, when we first got married or when we were first dating, about how much discrimination and bias that I walk around in the world. Because mm. as a white man, these are not things he sees, right? Yeah, so I mean, yeah. Yeah, as a white man, these are not things he's even conscious of. And now he's got black children. My kids identify as black. Um, and he has a black wife. And now he has to walk through the world alongside us, seeing what is happening. And I think he didn't truly. Um, fully realize all of it like most white folks until uh george floyd died so when floyd's Mm -hmm. george when george floyd was murdered uh back in uh, may or june of 2020 um i think everybody including my husband was like i need to do more i need to show up more so i think he has been really awakened to his privilege i remember his saying him saying to me one time Ah, I understand my privilege now. Before, I wasn't quite getting it, but now I see it in action when I stand alongside you and see how you're treated in si- this situation and then how I'm treated in the situation. And so uh, I have to say, and I, I say this with my girlfriends who are black all the time, whenever I get an opportunity to be in Alan's white privilege bubble, I take it because I just want to see what that's like. Right. Like mm-hmm. in situations where I don't want to interact, interact, I can send him on my behalf and his white privilege may get him further in some situations. But he's had a really eye opening experience as to what it's like to walk around in the world as other. And when you look at how we differentiate around race and ethnicity. We know that white is at the top and we know that black is at the bottom. We know that male is at the top and we know that woman is at the bottom. And then all the levels of oppression that happen in between um, based on how close you are to being white and how close you are to the patriarchy, right? Like the closer you are to those things, the more advantages yeah. you have. The further away you are from those things, uh, the more othered and discriminated you are against in the world, no matter what, right? It's a it's a global problem. Anti Black racism is a global problem.
2: Yeah. No, yeah, clearly. Um, in you're really active, you have a lot on a plate, you release the book a few months ago like December 2020 yeah, 20, right the last one yeah so just a few months ago uh, you started a podcast in January so just as well like a few months ago just adding more
0: to um, plate why not I don't know no, what's no, but... wrong with me
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what else are you going to start adding on there as well
1: <laughs> right just put more stuff and more stuff I, I'm not truly happy until I'm overwhelmed apparently so <laughs> that's my self-study I have some self-study around that so. but,
2: but it's interesting it's, it's your point to be everywhere to raise awareness on the topic is that what you're doing everything that you're doing
1: I guess so I you know I, <laughs> I never gave it much thought but yeah I think as as often as I can speak to it and I do a lot of podcasts like a lot of people invite me onto their podcast I I mean I, I believe it or not before I got on this podcast I did another podcast like an hour mm-hmm. before um but uh yeah a lot of people ask me so I just thought maybe I should have my own podcast and just talk about the stuff I I'm gonna talk about you know just have my ranty days and my you know talk about things other than um, yoga and equity. So I wanted my own podcast so I could talk about food and running and raising kids and you know all the all the other stuff that stuff that I don't usually talk about um, and inv- and invite people into my life because I like connection. So I think I'm really everywhere because I really I really do like humanity. Like, I really do like people. I really do like to hang out. And so these were ways to get to know as many people as I possibly can. And to almost like convert people, if you will, to the idea that we are all in this together. And if we just pay attention to what's going on in the world around us, we could see how we could help instead of being part of the problem. So I really feel like if I'm always talking about this and more and more and more and more people are talking about this, that this is the way we're going to change the world
2: something I, I i love about you after listening to some IGTV live you did with adrian uh, after the, the the talk on the training after this conversation is that also you you say whatever you want to say how it just, just goes out and if you don't like it deal with it that's like, how you, i am though you are who you are yeah you are who you are um and i mean i remember when what when you did this talk uh, during the training, we were like, "Jesus, I mean, she's, <laughs> going, she's going hard." Because yeah. I mean, you were talking about politics and stuff like that, and I mean, you are from Canada. Most of the people in the training are American, and you were like, "Yeah." I was like, "Holy shit!" I mean, <laughs> she's going hard. It, yeah, it. everyone doesn't like it, but I love that about you. Is that you say whatever has to be said?
1: I do. Sometimes it gets me into trouble. It doesn't always work so. in, my, in my favor, but I just roll with it, right? Like, it, you know, um, I do. I think it also has to come with my age. So I'm 50. I'm going to be 51 next month. And so I've been here a while. So I think my filter, I notice it with my mother anyway. Like, as she gets older, her filter gets less. And I'm like, you didn't say that, mother. <laughs> We need to have a conversation about it. no, no, no. no. <laughs> so I'm just hoping not to get to that place where my kids are like, what did you say? You can't say that. Like I I always want to present it in a way that's balanced, but I'm just going to be truthful and I try to add a little bit of humor to it so people can be uncomfortable and laugh, give me that uncomfortable laugh. But hopefully because it's presented with a little bit of humor and a little bit of passion, people are open to hearing it and not like shutting down when they hear this stuff. But sometimes I get people like that. They just shut down or they shut me out or... They get angry or, you know, that happens, but that's life, man. And my whole philosophy is if everybody likes you, you're doing something wrong. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, You're totally people pleasing. Yeah. So you got to have those people who don't like you. You need that. That's real. No, the but yeah, wrong. Clearly
2: like when, when you did this talk, you made me feel uncomfortable. Good. That was my plan. I was like, shit, but, but because it was true. I mean, it was just that. (laughs) And because I was like, oh, yeah, I've been doing that. Or whatever it was. So, And look at me. We're
1: we're friends now. I'm on your podcast. You're changing the world now. See? That's how these things work.
2: I mean, yeah, After, like you said, everyone is not going to like it. Everyone is not going to be happy. uh, Because it's not always easy to hear the truth. But yeah, exactly. It's not not your problem.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sit with your feelings and, you know, go back and talk to your friends about it. Don't come for me because I'll just tell you more stuff.
2: I've got one one last question that's more personal, Um, how do you educate and communicate everything you do uh, with your children uh,
1: yeah, I'm really honest with them so when I was growing up I was very much in the minority there weren't a lot of kids that looked like me at my school um, for the first 8 years of school it was just me, my brother and my sister and so I really internalized a lot of oppression I didn't like being mm-hmm. black I used to try to soak in bleach in the bathtub to see if I could change my skin color I really was I didn't feel valued I got picked on a lot as a kid. So I've, you know, I had a really tough time in my skin. And then when I when that flipped for me, when I learned to stand in my power through my yoga practice, when I learned the power of my people through educating myself, when I learned to unlearn that, learned uh, oppression, I wanted to make sure when I was having my children that they were proud of who they were, that they saw all the historical things that black people have done, how black people have contributed to the culture, how black people have cont- contributed historically to the wealth, to all the things that they've contributed to. So I've always been 100% honest with my children. Uh, my dad was like that with me as a kid. Uh, a big program that used to be on when I was a kid was 60 Minutes, and I would be up in my room playing Barbies or something, and my dad would be like, Diane, come down here. You need to watch this documentary on Malcolm X. And I'd be like, Uh, you know, I'd be eight years old watching this really, you know, intense documentary on Malcolm X. At the time, I didn't understand what he was trying to teach me, but it Mm. it stored itself somewhere in my subconscious so that later in life when I was rereading about these incredible historical African-American figures and historical Canadian figures of African descent and then my own people in Barbados, I took it upon myself to really educate myself on all those things and then share all that lush, wonderful, incredible culture with my children So they never feel like who they are as black children is any less than anybody else, Mm -hmm. that their contributions are equal. And I also have taught them about race so that they can spot when they're being treated unfairly and either speak up in the moment or speak to me and not put up with it. So I've been really clear from the very beginning of their lives to instill a sense of pride and power and compassion and understanding and empathy in my kids and to really celebrate who they are. So, you know, um, my my kids are very steeped in their culture and they're very aware of who they are and they're very compassionate and loving and kind. And they've been doing yoga since they were born. So Mm -hmm. they came along in the car seat with me. They came to mommy and baby yoga class they worked the front desk at my studio when I had it like yeah they came from the beginning when my son was eight he used to come to 6 a.m. yoga with me and check people in on the computer so I really like (laughs) it's all embedded in my family so I'm really careful to I'm really purposeful and intentional in teaching them everything they need to know
2: Hmm. one last question before we close a question I try to ask every guest when I remember.
0: Before you ask that, can you tell us about your programs and teachings that you're doing in case anybody's interested?
1: thanks for asking. Uh, I have a lot going on. I'm doing my first 300 hour teacher training and that's starting next month in April Uh, and that's fully online like you guys, inspired by Adrian inspired by the fact that we're in a pandemic and we can't do these things in person (laughs) and plus um, it's another accessible way people can access uh, teacher training online. I have my podcast, Two Black Girls Talk About Everything, so that's um, other stuff and then next month as well starting at the end of April we'll be running Uh, the 35... I think it's actually gonna go up to 40 hours we're adding a new module of yoga for all training so this is a a 35 to 40 hour depending on what other content we're adding we're still adding more content to it Um, training program designed to help make teachers more equitable and adaptable yoga teachers so teaching to different bodies teaching to different communities adapting poses Uh, what else do we learn in the teaching online learning how to market yourself online so it's all All the things that you don't learn in your traditional 200-hour teacher training, and maybe you don't learn it in your 300-hour teacher training either, but how to step into spaces from a place of equity, justice, and adaptability. So that's what we do for Yoga For All, and that's coming up in April. But everything you need to know about me, all the courses I teach, I have a ton of online content, I have a ton of courses, you can catch on my website, diannebondiyoga.com. It's all on there, everything I do i will li-
2: link all the books all the training and everything there so people can find you anywhere they want yes
1: yes <laughs> okay now i can ask you a
0: question
2: <laughs> if you could have a conversation with anyone that you think is like the most interesting person on in your eyes who would you pick and why it can be dead or alive famous or not doesn't matter
1: anywhere? anyone Honestly, the first person who comes to mind is James Baldwin, who's a poet and an author and spoke on the black experience. He was a queer man in the 70s. And I I point to the fact that he was queer because he was open about it in a time when we weren't open about it. He uh, is a prominent author and activist. very prominent in the seventies and eighties. And I would have loved to talk to him. He ended up moving to France cause he couldn't handle living in the U S anymore. And I would love to talk to him. I'd also love to talk to Malcolm X and, um, Oh my goodness. There's so many people I want to talk to <laughs> Shirley Chisholm. Like there's so many people. Yeah. If I could talk to any of them and ask them, um, what was their intention? How how did they feel their work impacted culture and society? Mm-hmm. And and what do you think the future holds for equity for all of us? I'd love to ask any of them that because they've been so impactful in my work and they've been so instrumental in helping me see how incredible it is to be a person of African descent, um, especially in a time when I didn't think that was something that was good. Mm good answer (laughs) yes um well
0: thank you so much Diane for being on the podcast it's been incredible to talk to you one on one and to (laughs) ask you questions and to get to know you a bit more and to spread the word I guess that you know yoga is for everyone yoga is for every single body no matter what your size shape colour abilities it's just for everyone absolutely Like like we said we'll leave everything linked in the show notes you can go and find Diane on her website on Instagram we'll leave everything linked um Yeah. Thank you so
1: much. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time. You guys are so cute. I love that you have a British accent and I love that you have a Spanish? French. 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 (laughs) Yeah, I knew it was French. You said a couple of things. I'm like, no, I hear Adrian, but yet I hear French. So are you from France? (laughs) Awesome. My kids are bilingual. My husband is French Canadian. Mm -hmm. So they go to a full French Ah. school and my kids are bilingual. And when they don't want me to to understand to hear what they're talking about they speak to each other in french (laughs) i can help you out out. yes i'm gonna just like google translate (laughs) say it again what are you saying i just listened for my name name. sneaky Sneaky. yeah (laughs) no yeah thank
2: you again for taking the time uh it was really interesting to see where you came from and how you go where you are today and i'm sure it's going to be really valuable for everyone to well, dig into your content, because the more also I see your posts on Instagram and everything, the, the more I learn. So Thank you. Doing Keep doing it.
1: I can't believe I couldn't tell that was a French accent, because now you're speaking and it's clear to me. <laughs> so, so,
2: I mean, it's not like it's, I'm, not I'm not hiding it.
1: It's <laughs> true. It's clear to me. I don't know. Yeah. But yes, thank you so much. This was so much
0: fun. Thank you. thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you come back. Leave us a review if you enjoyed it. And we'll speak to you next week.
2: Thank you.